Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kavi Kavusi, and I'll be discussing a diverse array of subjects that span from my experiences in the emergency room to the furthest reaches of the universe. I'll be hosting guests, inviting illuminating conversations that at times may challenge ways of thinking or being, while also nurturing curiosity, meaning, and awe into life. Please consider subscribing, liking, saving, or sharing this podcast with any of your friends or family if it feels right for you. Thank you for taking the time. Let's dive into the podcast. I would say, but uh, but it was good. What can I say? Dude, six ceremonies in 10 days uh, horrifies me when I think of it because, I mean, I don't know if I'll end up putting that out there, but having even the second ceremony absolutely destroyed me. Yeah. And it destroyed all my trust in my body. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how can you, how can a human being choose to endure and go back into what you just witnessed? Mm. It was that difficult, but I went in for the third. And the third was, it felt like a climb beautiful back out. I know in my, my first ceremony was my most difficult. Yeah. And so after I did that, it was, I, I wanted, I had the intention of wanting to see the universe. I wanted a light way in and it wasn't, you don't get, um, you don't choose what you want. You're yeah, given yeah. what you need. And yeah. um, I felt a lot of different experiences through my body kind of felt very ecstatic, amazing, until I, I almost did a body scan from my feet all the way to my stomach. <laughs> and once I got to my stomach, I started feeling like I had to hurl. Yeah. And at that point, I started getting all these feelings of tightness, not in my stomach, but I started getting a spasm in my stomach. And I felt really terrified, mm-hmm. uh, started sweating profusely. And lastly, uh, I kept being told, just let go, just let go. Who was the voice? It was in my head. It who was, was a, who was it, whose voice it, it was, was that? I think it was a snake. I, I the first ceremony that I had, I had you know we were told that you ayahuasca can come to you as a mother like a mother ayahuasca yeah. can come to you as a snake, and I remember seeing a snake. Yeah. And when I had that experience, I'm like, okay, I don't typically have conversations in my head this way, but let, <laughs> let me let me continue that. Yeah. And. Um, at that point, it was interesting because it just kept saying, let go, but to just lie down and let go. But they told us before ceremony, say, if you lie down, things actually increase quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I was fighting that until I finally let go. I lie down. I just let my body go limp. Then everything stopped. Uh-huh. And I think I was maybe on a journey for 30 minutes. And the rest of the time, I had this euphoric feeling. And, and the lesson that I learned is that you really thought that you can let go. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I, a new I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize what that was. So every ceremony after that was much easier because I knew how to surrender. Wow. That's, I would have not thought that, especially in the first lesson, you could get to knowing that quickly. And, um, especially there's this, um, you reconcile all of the things that you thought you knew you were and who you are. And in that space, you're brought to realize who you are and who you th- sorry who you aren't that's mm-hmm. the big one. Oh, for sure and um what, what you said about that was I, I actually had the opposite guidance which was when you sit you're the antenna when you're sitting up and when you're laying down you uh, are closing that channel and so the entire time i stayed sitting while everyone else laid down and they seemed to find more peace when they laid down staying sitting was so challenging but it was it also our bodies just I don't think we're wired to sit that way. Like mm. yoga has these meditative practices, the medicine practice, like especially when you're 
I don't know what how it's still it's difficult to like quantify or use adequate words that speaks to the immensity of what you open yourself up to when you do that medicine experience. But especially when you're sitting, the the senses are one thing, but what you where your attention went, interestingly, was right to the stomach, which was who was speaking first? I'm curious about that. Was it my mind is scanning here? I arrive at my stomach or was your stomach seeking to be scanned and it invited you down and then you arrived there? I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever find that out, <laughs> but, uh, but either way, I think, I think the, the outcome was a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's starting off this podcast, not knowing that you even sat with that medicine. Um, so that's a, a very interesting thing to, uh, keep in mind because I feel that a lot of healthcare workers that are providing services for others, if they've never had a contemplative moment where they've had to really look at themselves and also be out of their sense, like be in places of discomfort, especially one that we chose, I have such a higher level of credibility and belief and trust in how they're going to be a little bit more compassionate and empathetic with the patients that they have. And who I have before me today is uh, Alex Malis, who I'm really grateful took the time to come and connect um, in my place here just west of Toronto. He lives northwest of Toronto, and we've known each other for, I guess, 17, 16 years now. No, yeah. it's actually 17 years, wow. dude. Thank you for taking wow. the time to come out. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're very very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah I, we're both getting into the flow of podcasts. This, I feel like, is his first one where there's video and audio. Mm. I've done a few, but uh, getting this going, um, appreciate everyone's patience as <laughs> as we as we get this dialogue flowing because we start with something that's so meaty and delicious and i think with a lot of podcasts people probably start talking about things that are really good at the start and then um when you're getting to the structured introduction thing it, mm -hmm. it's like stepping back so um i invited alex because i i didn't know also that added layer that he had sat with particular medicines that have him confront parts of his psyche but that's an added level of someone who i've already felt has this grounded peace that I've felt from you forever and as long as I've known you and I don't know if you noticed that or people mention that to you do do people mirror that to you pretty often they do I I would say I I get that a lot um but it's it, it comes from a place I think where I just I just really want to connect with people I love the fact of I just like making people happy yeah. and I and I love when I can see that in someone else so I, I feel like if I've been told that I bring a very comfortable energy, a place where I find even when I work with like some of my patients or even my friends where it seems like at least I've been told that it's easier to talk about things that may have been more difficult, but uh, it's nice to hear that. So thank you. Yeah, man. I, I feel my face uh, wanting to uh, lean to, towards a smile right now. <laughs> and I'm like, why does it do that? There's some people where you just feel that you're within yourself and then others who I think a testament of what they embody, it's probably the story of who I've known Alex to be mm. over time, where first I know you're not going to kill me, or maybe you will, <laughs> but the other part is that like the, the who you embody has left a signature in, and what you invite in as a testament to what you embody is something that just invokes a smile in my face. Mm. And I can, again, imagine like what Alex does, he can introduce it himself, but he's a chiropractor, and he works with a multitude of patients. And we were mentioning just before this that he works with some patients that have pain that cannot necessarily be alleviated to the same degree that we all hope. 
and some have to live with it for a prolonged period of time, if not the rest of their lives. And so Alex works with not only supporting the the pain, but the human being's response to it. Mm. How does that, how does that, um, how did you find yourself in that space first? So, um, well, thank you for the introduction and thank you for all the kind words, but I would say where I found myself in this space, uh, well, as a being younger, I always had this feeling that I always wanted to help. I, I was very inspired not only to help other people, but I don't know, there was something in it where I just would get a lot of joy when I'd see people smile. If I could say something funny, catch someone off guard, mm-hmm. there was something there. And and I think it was it was not only very powerful, but it, it, it made me feel good. So sometimes I was always thinking, I'm like, am I doing this for them? Am I doing this for me? Probably a little bit of both, I'm sure. I agree with that. Um, but there was something there. And so when I was growing up, uh, you know, I was a personal trainer. I'd loved exercise. I was very influenced by my father who we used to train together and he got me into it. And then I found that medium of work, working with clients. I just, I love the inspirational component where I could be behind someone's change. I could, I could help influence them in the direction that they wanted to go. So um, just going through you know, my life university was interesting, I would yeah. say, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of learning lessons when you live away from home. But, uh, but ultimately, I, I think that started getting cultivated in my later years of, of university when I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I know at certain points I, I, I worked at a, as a club promoter. So I got in contact with a lot of different people <laughs> and various types of people. So you learned how to not only talk to people, but but learn how to host and how to make people feel comfortable. And so when I went to school, um, I wasn't the best student. I, if anything, I lived for the moment back then. Yeah. And, Are you uh, talking about kinesiology? I'm talking about kine- kinesiology. Yeah. And once I moved through that, um, it took me a while to find myself. And uh, one way I found myself was really, I, had, I was very fortunate to meet a girl in Cuba mm-hmm. who is now my wife. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if anything, she, she not only supported me, but, um, but she, she believed in me. She mm-hmm. believed that I could, I could do more. And so as I went through school, um, it brought me to a place where I realized that I wanted to be a chiropractor. I wanted to work with people in a place where I could speak to them, but, but also help them address their needs. And that brings us to where I work today. I graduated uh, in 2015 and we opened a clinic. We run a family-based, um, you know, clinic. My I work with uh, my brother, my wife, and my mother, and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other doctors. But we work in a specific area of chronic pain, where we see a lot of people who who suffer for long periods of time. Typically, they have injuries or different things that didn't get better, or sometimes they have a combination of not just injuries but experiences through depression, anxiety, financial turmoil, you name it, and. What, what was very interesting is that when you treat patients in this regard, it's like you can't view it as one thing. A mm-hmm. person is not just their diagnosis, they're everything. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a person. There's so many complexities about them, but they all need to be addressed. They all need to be, they, they all need their space, let's say, where, where they can be expressed. And I, and I think many times, especially in my realm, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. They have this feeling that they, they want to do so much more. They, they feel so much, in many cases, because they've never been given an opportunity or direction, they become hopeless. Mm-hmm. They, they lose themselves. And of course, when you get lost in the shuffle, 
sometimes it's hard to find yourself again. And so with, with what we do at our clinic is that we, we help people, we, we surround them with the right doctors and the right people, but, but we try and coach them through a journey, mm -hmm. a journey of, of improving themselves, but a lot of awareness and a yeah. lot of understanding. How do you invite awareness back to someone who's initially feeling hopeless? I think the first thing is that you, you first have to start listening to them. I think the problem a lot of the times is that people feel that they've been in environments where it's very quick in, quick out in the mm -hmm. sense that they, they see whether a doctor or they see someone, they have this problem and it's when they're getting in, they're already feeling like they're being kicked out and they get a diagnosis, they get an image, they get whatever the case may be. And then here's some medication and go on your way or go to this person and go to that person. So there's a lot of fragmentation. So I think, yeah, I think when, when you can sit with someone and you can really he not only hear their story, hear where they've come from, but also understand more about them. You know, you know, we use this term, we, we really practice this term at our clinic, it's called the biopsychosocial model. I know you're very familiar with it. It's the, com <laughs> the combination of, of looking at biology, looking at a medical component of what's going on, the psychology, what's mm -hmm. going on in their head, and obviously the environment and how that all interplays. And so when we sit down with people, or I'll just speak for myself, when yeah. I sit down with someone, it's really important to understand all three because healing and getting better, you know, if it's primarily a biomedical problem or a problem primarily, let's say you hurt a shoulder, you hurt a problem, uh, you, you had some sort of injury, then we can deal with that fairly acutely. But if it's there for a while, it can change someone's life change their ability to think about themselves in a maybe they identify themselves as being super physical and now they can do things so they develop certain feelings so we need to address everything mm -hmm. and, I, and I think I think the first part is being aware that you hear them and when you can hear them and you can understand okay and give them a certain plan and some aspect of guidance it starts instilling hope again mm -hmm. it instills like hey maybe I can do something or maybe I can look at this better yeah uh, something I've, I do in the ER that I think I have a different uh, opportunity than you do because you have when you're working with people who are coming back to you who have chosen to come with you they have some level of trust they're looking to establish rapport and then if the individual's there and there's really a nurturing capacity to that rapport that's being established especially if you embody those qualities that make that avenue available you it, the the moment speaks for itself and the human being knows that they're stepping into an environment of trust that they're the thing that they're coming there for can be addressed whereas in the er very often it's the human being comes there and they already like i liked how you said it that they feel like they're being kicked out the moment they come in we're on our end we're not stopping moving i don't stop between seeing patients but they've been stopped and paused for four to six hours mm -hmm. sometimes before they come come uh, i come and see them and what ends up happening, interestingly, is uh, they come there and they are playing the role of patient. And I am, or and many physicians who come in or nurses are playing the role of doctor, playing the role of healthcare provider. But what that ends up being is it, prime, it uh, prioritizes a transactional experience versus what I have started to do now is I'll walk in and I'll ask people after introducing myself, I'll say, am I a doctor? And they'll say, yeah. I say, no, it's not who I am. It's what I do. And then I asked them, are you a patient? And they're like, well, no. Yeah, I guess for today. And I said, exactly. It's the role you're playing. It's not who you are. So I said, I'm Kaveh and you are. And then this. And now we have two human beings in interaction with one another addressing a thing together. And I felt that when you bring that level of balance to where they have felt, one, a hierarchy of communication and the transactional component, plus normally being kicked out, 
They know that the, the quality of two humans in an interaction invites the welcoming presence of I'm not rushed to be kicked out and maybe I'm being invited in. And what that invited in can entail is beyond just addressing the thing. It can be inviting in the exploration of the, the other stuff. And what I found so often in the ER, which maybe you see sometimes, is someone comes with a pain, but there's this cloud of all the other stuff. And I love addressing the other stuff because I feel that that's the, the broken arm that you don't see psychologically. There's a fragmentation of a part that's been burdened. And when we are creating that, that environment, there's this healthy human-to-human -human component that I can only imagine and I trust that when your patients come to you, they're, they're meeting that. And do you feel that the everyone that's working at the space that you do, and interestingly, your whole family's in collaboration there and it's working out, mm. <laughs> um, does everyone else invite that type of quality for others to, to feel welcome to? And how, do, how does it look like if someone's coming in with initial chronic pain and have you seen this? I guess I can build into it, but have you seen people come in who have been hopeless? They've gone to multiple individuals before. They're pretty dejected and they're reluctant to seek service. But then you've seen them and on a trajectory months later, they're a completely different experience of themselves that they're having with you guys. Have you have you had that before? Of course, of yeah. course. So I'll I'll try and answer as many questions as I can remember. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just I whatever feels true coming of forward. Of course, yeah. of course. I think I think what's important and uh, first things first is you know you said something that's very important and I do the same thing. Is like you're telling me about you say you know am I a doctor? I many times tell my patients, man, I, I may know just a bit. I know a bit of things about the body and I yeah. know how to help in certain regards. But I said in this office, I said, we're the same. So we're on the same team. Yeah. So I said, we're, we're, well, I'm going to, and I always tell every patient I work with, I said, I'm going to work my ass off for you. Mm -hmm. But there's an expectation that you're going to do the same. And because we're on the same team, we're here to grow, we're here to get better. And so when you instill that quality and the experience into an appointment, it's like it, you're, you're generating hope. It's like a power plant, right? Mm -hmm. You're starting to create that. And so sometimes when you see, I mean, it depends on who you work with, but many times people haven't heard these things before. Mm -hmm. And so it offers that space. It's like you, you're, it's almost like you're inviting them to take off their armor. Say, hey, you know what? We're going to be okay yeah. here. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm very much about experience. <laughs> if you're going to spend time with me, it's, it's all about the experience because if you're going to change or you're going to improve, you have to feel good about it. You mm -hmm. have to be excited. And if someone can bring that out in you, then by all means. Now, at our clinic, we all operate in a very similar model. I mean, we're different in certain uh, certain regards, but everybody's very friendly. We really focus on creating a safe environment. And safe environment, when I say safe, I mean, it can be anything, but where we think of it is that people look forward to coming to see us. Mm -hmm. People look forward, like they know that it doesn't feel so much the doctor's here and the yeah. patient is here. It's like, no, 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 we're, we're on the same trajectory. We're working together. I try to break down those labels. However, in some patients, I find that they need a little bit more of the separation to get going. Because if you get too for if we're too friendly, then it's like, hey, maybe hey, you're my buddy. You know, we can yeah. we can you know maybe I won't do this. But but the idea is that it's the 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 environment really plays into it. Now, we've seen a lot of patients who I never thought in my wildest dreams if I didn't know what I know now and and with the work that we've done yeah. with patients that they've improved. They've improved substantially. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I, I've had. I'll give you one of my most interesting patients. So mm -hmm. we see patients. Some. So we see 
chronic pain patients of different things, typically backs, neck, shoulders, you name it. We sometimes we see patients who are centrally sensitized. For those people who don't understand what that is, is typically when a patient many times endures could be a physical injury and uh, an emotional injury. And these things last for quite some time. Sometimes what happens in our bodies, our nervous system gets very amplified. Mm -hmm. And our nervous system is our detector of the environment. It detects threat, it detects safety. And when it's very threatened chronically for a while, sometimes it, it turns up the dial. So pain, you're gonna feel more. What's gonna happen is your stress is gonna increase, your stress is gonna affect your pain. Stress affects our pain to begin with. Yeah. But the thing is that this, it's like I maybe, if you touch me on my arm, feels like a normal touch for them, they may feel it like 10 times more. So, so when we see various patients and sometimes in this regard, and many times when they're dealing with many things, if we deal with all those, those components of, of how they think to how they've become the way they have, you can start rewiring things. Mm -hmm. And so when, you know, I'll give you an example. So one patient of ours, uh, she is, uh, we worked with her. She actually, this is just a very, very extreme case. Uh, she developed a, what we call a functional neurological disorder. What that means is that, it, so when we have the difference between functional means that it's not anything that we find that's wrong yeah. with the brain, no or we have a nerve related issue or, or some sort of, uh, you know, issue with the spinal cord. It's the fact that it's more that there is a, there is something that the brain is turning off that we don't understand, but it, but it's not because we can find a structural issue with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining that. Yeah, well. yeah, I get that. Yeah. So so with this woman, she had developed, you know, she had a lot of stress in her life. She had a fair bit of headaches and migraines, and one day she had a migraine and her vision went away in one eye, and um, and then after you know she did all these tests, she couldn't figure it out. They even did tests with uh, doctors that looked into her. They said your your optic nerve is perfectly fine. We can't find. We don't understand why. And so randomly a few months later, her eyesight just came back, mm -hmm. came back for a day or two days, and then it went away again. And so we ended up seeing her in our program and we took her on and she's very motivated. Not only did she we learn a lot about her life and her stresses and you know, how she was processing stress, but we helped her gain tools, tools on how to operate and manage her life, things relating to mindfulness meditation, breathing, you know, different ways of thinking about problems from a, a psychological perspective. If you guys have heard of CBT before, cognitive behavioral therapy, just learning how to kind of approach different thoughts differently. We worked for me specifically, I worked on how do I increase independence with her through being able to walk upstairs to do different things where she wasn't able to. And mm -hmm. over time, started getting more physically fit and things started to change and she started developing less and less headaches. Her headaches went, she had maybe five to 10 migraines a month with headaches every day to two headaches, maybe a week, mild headaches that could be helped with a little Tylenol here and there. We just recently got a call back from her after we finished our program and uh, she called us because she said her eyesight returned. Mm. And so right now it's been, a, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because yeah. of the fact that it's been gone for three to five years. And, you know, the way that there's no, there's no really big understanding just based on what we think is yeah. this idea that she has improved because of the fact that now she has developed a certain level of tools and strategies to deal with her stresses to the point that maybe her body is now allowed for this to to appear again or to regain her vision. We we still don't understand, mm -hmm. but I mean, these are some of the very interesting fringe cases that we see. But if anything, I mean, if there's one thing to say is that 
things are possible yeah. things can change yeah and in that uh, th the possibilities of things what i've come to realize especially in health where you bring people back from the brink where they seem so far out but also in our own life experience where things seem like they're never going to get out of that place what she had was something that was inexplicable like you there's no metrics for it yet it's undeniable the outcome it, it speaks for itself mm -hmm. now what the cause was i think that there's a lot of things that you guys invited in that were modalities that maybe softened if this was like when we're saying functional curiously is it a trauma response that had compounded over time and her her stress responses or the way that she had coped and adapted eventually could no longer bear the burden books like the body keeps the score by bezel van der kolk has a lot of invitations that a lot of people who are having somatic expressions that are persistent when i speak to them about that much like you are doing in addition to giving them tools to navigate through it has them not see symptoms as these debilitating things but as sometimes as uh the avenue for our inner world to be speaking back through to us totally and um if i could share a story Please i uh, do. i don't know if you knew this i had a tumor in my neck when i was 20. yes yeah so I had that tumor and I got misdiagnosed a few times. So um, I finally went for surgery and then did radiation. And I, by that time, had developed this story that uh, the world doesn't want me. That, that was the internalized story that I had regarding this tumor because I started experiencing anxiety and panic attacks after it. I addressed that by, yes, I took some SSRIs at the time, but I did it with CBT as well, too. And I was really grateful for CBT at the time. But the pain that was starting to come there was so debilitating. So I started with Tylenol, then Advil. Then I started taking Tylenol 3s. And then I started uh, using stronger pain medications. Seven and a half months into having pain that was persistent and present all of the time while I was doing my surgical rotations at the same time too was absolutely debilitating me. But if I had pain and I needed to process something and it was screaming at me, I had no time available for it from the hours that we were doing in surgery. And so I remember at 7.30 p.m. one night, I sat on a chair after having a really long day and I had a conversation with that area of my parotid where the tumor was. And I let that part of me know that I know that we went through a very difficult, burdening time, very scary, so much so that we internalized this story that we're not wanted by this world. And the pain... I feel in that moment felt seen, heard, acknowledged, and understood, remembered. And I told him, look, but it's getting in the way of my ability to experience my life and be connected to it. I'm not going to forget you. And as ridiculous as that sounded and felt, the next morning I woke up and the pain was gone and it has never been back. And that's f f uh, 13 years now. Uh, and it still to this day is an inexplicability for why that had the profound impact that it did, yet it was undeniable in what the outcome was. Because now I feel it, a, a remembering of the pain rather than a, an expression of it. And wow. it's, yeah, so how, how do we express that? How does medicine define that? And, and that's the thing is that medicine can't at this point because yeah. sometimes you can't necessarily study it. But what's interesting is that you, you give space for something that you don't typically think needs space and sometimes the body has a way of working itself out yeah i think every human being needs to have not needs to but benefits significantly from having a moment that was inexplicable in for how their construct is they look around everywhere they google it why did this thing happen they can't come to that conclusion through anything that is at least shared yet they see that the outcome was something 
beyond the words, but in the favor of what they were seeking. I feel like when a human being has that trust in not knowing, not having a system for it, yet having an incredible outcome for it, it allows them to be more available to wonder and curiosity as opposed to structure, rigidity, and potential dependency on a, on a molecule, on a people, a place, or a thing. And now they stay more open and available to the world. Because as you had mentioned before, when you're in trauma response, you're scanning the world rather than open and available and immersed to it. And pain is in the way of immersion as well too. Whereas when that pain becomes addressed and it softens, you're scanning less for the pain. You're softly available a little bit more to life and it compounds over time. And that gift that you give that human being as being their support for health, but also their their accountability support for their pain ends up opening them up to, well, pain is a suffering aspect of human life, but it does not have to be the burden that they're carrying there throughout to their last breath. That's yeah, a... It's a wonder that you can be the steward and guide to support someone in that. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think if anything, when we when you think specifically about that, it's it's giving people the openness or giving people the channel where it's okay to feel. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I, I think the the one thing that you know when would we teach in our program and even you know by being around a lot of different health professionals whether it's mindfulness practitioners the psychologists it kind of blends into what i do and so i kind of blend it all together and, yeah. and use what i need but but one thing that really sticks out is this idea that having space for everything we we don't run from things mm-hmm. things do come up and you know when i do talk to my patients and even with myself it's it's okay to feel it's it's, you know, you know, there was a, I think I saw a podcast recently with Gabor Mate, and yeah. he's one of my favorites. But one thing that he said is a great question to ask is always, what are you afraid to feel? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and many times we all have fears. Yeah. We have many different, and especially with our patients and people are feeling pain, you know, we, we create a construct, we create a way of being, to, but we do it out of protection. We mm-hmm. do it because we think it's the best way. However, even if it may help, it may help it helps you to get to to where you are it may not be ideal yeah so if we have the ability to open that up again and and be okay with being i i think the openness yeah. to experience the openness to to um to to knowing to, to being like i don't have all the answers and and maybe there's something else maybe there's something i could try it gives opportunity for change mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking uh because especially as men as we're trying to come back here, back to the felt, back to the heart, back to the body. Um, I think the exploration and invitation for men when we're like being brought back to feeling asks what is in the way. And awareness invites us back into that curiosity so much so that I hope some people have explored what are we unwilling to feel. I love that question by Gabor. Ask it in a different way with everyone. But I'd be curious if you're open. Do you do you do you have any idea about some of the feelings or things that you're like? This is a hard no that I ever want to feel again. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are definitely things. Uh, if there's things that I can talk about, I think one thing that I find is that I one of the things that I've struggled with with my life is there's an aspect of there was always an aspect of a fear of say a fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. in a fear of not being liked mm-hmm. so my for coming from myself as i was growing up i i love to make people feel good but there's also components that i wanted to ensure that 
they liked me as well. And so as I grew, you know, I, I started noticing that in certain relationships, when things didn't go my way or things maybe turned in a, in a way that I was not so happy about, I would always come back to myself and say, what did I do? Mm -hmm. what, what, what was my role? And I was always very big on taking responsibility because it's easy to take responsibility. It's easy to point the finger at yourself because I always felt that if I did, if I pointed the finger at myself, that means I could change it. Mm -hmm. But it's not always the case. It's not always me. And sometimes things don't necessarily work out the way that you want. However, that's not a problem either mm -hmm. because of the fact for my, I say my healing and my openness to feel is really to come to the understanding that sometimes things just don't work out and there's a process that sometimes you know whether it is people or experiences or events sometimes they're not always exactly the way you want but that's okay too and in the acceptance of that it's actually it's been very helpful and this is something that i find in the last couple of years it's something that i've been working on mm -hmm. and i find that as i sit with this more regularly because when we have these things that we pick up throughout life or i'll only speak for me it sometimes we forget how they show up again mm -hmm. and they show up again and it just because you worked on something for a period of time there's still remnants and there's things that may show up for the rest of my life but the thing is that when i can be aware of where they're coming from or the motivations that I have for the actions that I take, I can really clear, I can move through something more effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> if I were to ask your partner, yeah. what is Alex unwilling to feel? Do you think she would have the same answer as you? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Because I, I, if there was one thing from the unwillingness to feel, I think... I think for me, yeah, it's because she knows how much I care about people. I have such a caring, like I have, like I, I just, I, there's something in, in helping others that I, I get so much gratitude and I love it. And I, and I really go all the way with mm -hmm. not only who I work with, with my family, with my friends. And so when I, when I push too hard, it's like, the question is what's left for me yeah you know and i and i think and i and and for that i i think i think she'd say it always comes back to how are you taking care of you mm -hmm. what are you doing for yourself and i think that's sometimes the challenge where i'm learning and i think the learning comes from learning about boundaries mm -hmm. learning about taking time for yourself and it's okay to take time for yourself i think that's that's the thing is like sometimes you 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 get so kind of into a pattern of doing things where you lose yourself sometimes. Mm -hmm. You lose yourself in your things, but then when I have the ability to step back, whether it is through conversations, sometimes through plant medicines, you know, uh, that give me perspective, uh, it it helps me. It helps me find myself again. Helps mm -hmm. me and I and, and grow, of course. Yeah, there's um, one of the bridges back to feeling connected to life when a human being is experiencing anxiousness or depression medicine has pathologized much of the things that people carry around saying i have anxiety i have depression but one thing that is a that proves that that's not the case is when a human being finds themselves either intentionally or unintentionally supporting someone else that depression alleviates the anxiousness alleviates as well too and they start wondering well nothing changed i just was showing up for someone else temporarily and you get a really good reward feedback but you also are brought back on the other side of your stories to your value and sense of self 
And when you are in service of others, you get this regular feedback where you're creating a bridge of not you just completely consumed within your mind. And uh, I think a lot of people, um, especially who I see in the ER, for example, who are in these prolonged anxious states or depressed states or lower mood, I don't think they're there as a, te- uh, as a pathological issue with them. I think it's often a testament of the environment where they're in. And when I say that by that is we live in Toronto and in a lot of the major cities around the world and especially how we engage with particular technology, the concept of busyness has this reward that we all socially enable. And what that that busyness metric is almost like where someone's like, oh, I'm so busy, I can't meet you. We almost put a value so high for what that is. But what that what I hear with busy is a human being that is has a higher likelihood or a tendency towards not spending time with themselves to alleviate some of the burdens. And then eventually over time, our system is not able to have this unlimited bandwidth of tolerance for when we're not able to support. And then you'll see someone eventually degrade and then needing to have the support of others. And then you're in that role where you are that bridge for them. Do you catch people when they are nearly on their on, on that point where they're you're seeing mental health burdening large aspects of their life beyond the the pain, and then you invite them into being supports first for themselves, but others as well too. I, in short, yes, yes. <laughs> I I see in in the realm that I work, I see it a lot. Mm-hmm. I see it where where what ha- many times because when we ask a lot of questions that are not just pain specific, you get a general understanding of the person and their mm-hmm. environment, and so when I. When I start seeing changes, whether it's someone I've been working with or even a friend for a period of time, you start noticing changes where irrespective of what's being done, you know, things just keep coming up. There's a pattern. Like mm-hmm. it, our realms are a little different because your yeah. realm is like a one-off. You you see a patient, yeah. you're there, you're trying to get them into a good path so you can, and you, of course, to make sure that they're they're not in uh, close to death store. You want to direct them properly and do what you can at the moment. My realm, I get to see them a little bit more protracted. I get to see them more, sorry, more regularly and stuff like that. But I've had many sessions with patients where sometimes we don't do any treatment and the treatment is really it's listening and it's really understanding and and the thing is that many times you know when we do whether it was sometimes we do some acupuncture i get like a patient will come in and they're stressed out of their minds and of course they're not ready for other things whether it's education around their pain or what's going on what they do need is a bit of time we may put a few little needles in just to calm them down then we'll come back and sometimes we'll have conversations and we'll talk about what's going on and we'll address the deeper things. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because we all, I think we all inherently know the deeper things. We we know that there are certain things that aren't right, but sometimes we're unwilling to face them. Yeah. And having having discussions, I think having the ability to to discuss and, and bring something to light really allows someone to see that you know one point that you did say is this idea of busyness there's a there's this pride around business yeah. like you said it's like hey i'm busy i'm too busy and stuff it's like it's something good when all it is is a construct it's something that we've been doing and we we just because we're in a system of busyness it the times that i feel many times the best is that when i actually take time away yeah. when i have a day or two where i can shut it off or even i have a night and i know I get to go at my own pace, yeah. I, and and I think we all need that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think we don't have. Um, I, I sometimes I, what I do notice in many cases that people are many times uncomfortable to be with themselves. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they need a distraction, whether it's their phone, <laughs> the digital, I call our phone or the, the digital leash. It's the thing that we, we think we're controlling, but in many cases, it's, it's really, or the digital cigarette. It's the yeah. thing that we do between things. It's you know? the 80th organ. Actually. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember throwing a phone <laughs> to someone that I accidentally ended up having it bounce off the floaty they were on. Mm -hmm. And then it went into the water mm -hmm. and I saw a part, a part of him being cut off. And you yeah. see it in you the face, the that face. moment of all the things. That phone is definitely one of the biggest distractors, and it is a, an extension of the human being. Of course, to, to such a degree, <laughs> to such an incredible degree. It's crazy to see, and I think, and I, and especially in this social media, you know, very driven world where we're very pulled into our devices, me mm -hmm. included. You know, it's very easy. Like you can go on something, and next thing you know, you don't know how you how you stuck on there. You went on to do something, and then somehow you're somewhere else. And I, you know, I see it a lot, and. Um, you know, I think I think what we need a lot more is we need more silence. We need more mm -hmm. time with ourselves. We need to know what we're actually thinking. And I think, you know, when you're so busy and it's you're always on, whether it is you're at work, yeah, doing the things that you feel you need to do, then you come home, whatever you cook, you do things, and then next thing you know, you're in front of the TV watching Netflix or you're yeah. watching some shows. There's no time to say, hey, like, how do I really feel? Yeah, and the power of pause cannot be understated I, I a few people i'll speak to and I, you you almost get them to arrive at it that the scariest place for a human being to be is alone with themselves with nothing to do nowhere to go no one to please mm. if you have a human being just sit with that for a moment where do they find themselves situated in probably the scariest place to be for themselves because they've spent next to no time spending time with the unprocessed parts of themselves but Nassim Taleb, uh, he, he uh, wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. I've heard of it and before, yeah. A lovely book on um, the power of, the power is not reinforcing strength. It's, it's uh, working your capacity for adaptability, your hormetic uh, stress that you can put onto yourself by doing things that are comfortable or uncomfortable, whatever it may be, for a particular amount of times, then taking time away from it in order for it to be contemplated, digested, and integrated. Your muscle doesn't grow by going to the gym just because you do the workout. It's because it's adapting to the environment that you put into it and that you continue to put into it over and over again by going to the gym. But what he does invite in, which kind of ties into the subject of busyness, is I think what most human beings seek is greater immersion and presence into their life. And when they're trying to meet the particular needs that they have, we get so consumed by the busyness of addressing what we think is the thing and not prioritizing the thing that we seek which is presence and greater immersion into your moments mm. and what he invites in is the concept of addition by subtraction and addition by subtraction is subtracting some of the things that we subscribe to that make us busy which ultimately invites us into places of relative pause mm. relative silence relative minimal new stimulation and when you have less experiential things even this conversation is an experience reaching for your phone is an experience your body your mind your psyche your soul your spirit all needs time to process some of that and if you can imagine we've had no time especially with these phones which are so well intentioned but massively distractive when a human being reaches for it is usually at a moment of pain that they don't want to f be alone with themselves be in pause mm -hmm. and so uh that the gift will end up being so often of of this softening back into themselves and I feel like the converse, these type of conversations for me is a pause. 
and it's a curiosity invoking one, but I hope even after this, like what I invite at the end of every podcast is inviting people to like three to five minutes after it's done to let whatever's alive in them in response to the conversation to have an opportunity to stir within you and to come alive. Have you ever done like a silent retreat for 10 days? I haven't. My wife has. Yeah. And I've wanted, <laughs> I've wanted to, I've wanted to, uh, you know, um, I've heard how incredible they are. I've heard it's, it's very revealing because when you're truly with yourself and there's nothing to distract away from you, you get to know the inner parts like you've never seen before. Yeah. Um, the one thing I can say was interesting because I was going to bring this up when my wife was at her silent retreat. That was the first time that I had a lot of time for myself. And interestingly enough, because there, you know, when I would come home after my day, I'd have a lot of time for myself. I actually loved sitting in silence. Mm -hmm. I would sit in silence. I would read. And there was something to it where I was, I, I felt like I had like maybe a, a fraction of what she went through. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but there was a component where I was like, wow, I, was, I felt like I was really getting to know myself more mm -hmm. because I'm just not used to that time. And, and, and I believe like I, I've had many friends who have gone and uh, only good things. If any, I have some friends who still go, they go like once or twice a year because of how impactful it is. It's, it's so perspective. Um, it, it gives you so much perspective. Have, mm -hmm. have you ever? I haven't, but I think about, I, I was supposed to do it just before COVID. Okay. And then uh, my it was March 20th in Barrie. I was okay, going yes, there yes. and then COVID happened of uh, 2020. And a, a few friends of mine actually had just come out of it and spoken about how it felt like brain surgery, where they felt that on day three or four, they were falling into a hole that they didn't understand. Day five, six, seven, they felt that they were doing this neurosurgical reorientation within themselves because there's nothing you can do there, nothing you can write on. There's no output that you can do. Can't and there's an minimal... exercise, can't do anything. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and they invite sitting for eight to 12 hours a day. But when they came out of it, uh, they, they were this new human being that was revelatory and they felt that they had processed so much of their life. And interestingly, I had a patient that, so the, someone shares that with me that day. I go into the ER and someone comes in and I see their chief complaint is a rule out stroke. So stroke-like symptoms. This person had apparently just left that exact site that I was going to go to. And they had on their ninth day thought that they forgot words. So one day before completing the 10 days of silence, he came to the ER because he thought he was having a stroke because he couldn't wow. remember words anymore. But when he came out, he was so mad at himself and disappointed because he, he wanted to say it out loud, but he didn't want to break the silence there. And, but he was, he was terrified in his mind that he wouldn't remember words. But, but then when he came there, he, he had this, we just laughed about it. And there was beauty and also like, applauding the success of nine days. Nine days of silence. Yeah. Then he gave me a pamphlet to go there. And I'm like, my friend was just, it's such an intriguing little circle of, uh, there's coincidences. And then you feel like there's synchronicities, which mm. is a subject of greater connection of the fabric of things that we can't explain yet seem to be connected and that was one of those moments wow wow that's yeah. interesting I, it's 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 not only i think i think we all should do one of these <laughs> silent retreats i when i do see them i'm like man do they have like a two day or do they have something and when i when i've talked to people they say no if you're going to do it you have to really dedicate because you need the induction you need to go to the places and you may not get there in one or two days. Yeah. You know, you, you really have to do the deep dive. So 
Maybe we'll go together sometime. Yeah. Who knows? We, I, I definitely invite that. But if there's the equivalent of doing full ceremonies versus microdosing particular yeah. things, we can microdose pause. Of <laughs> if course. If that's such a subject. Of course. And that's, that requires a higher level of intentionality and awareness because you you have to be present to these type of things day by day or the consumptive uh, aspect of distractions and responsibilities that we have that we fall into busyness will be pervasive and our system doesn't have the opportunity to calm. And what we teach ourselves as a behavior there is that I'm going to tolerate busyness for this prolonged period of time and then I'm going to set something down the road that invites pause later on. And maybe it's going to be something that's so profoundly, uh, it's so profound but also requires such a length of time, 10 days, that we're almost going to be grappling with this if it's even feasible. But because busyness is so pervasive, busyness says, how the heck can I take 10 days off? Someone who takes pause says, I can consider pause for 10 days. It's, it's the identification there. The identification of busyness of a person who's busy doesn't permit that because you almost lose the identity of busyness if you were to take 10 days off. Does that make sense? It, <laughs> it, no, it, do, it does. And I think, the, I think the interesting thing is that you're right. If we look at it from the, uh, a microdosing standpoint and what's more realistic for most people is to actually plan times of pause. Yeah. We plan our schedules. We plan who we see. We plan our events. But do we actually plan time to not do anything? Yeah. Or just be plan time with ourselves? You know, I, I've i done that multiple times before, and I'm very content when I do do those things. However, it's, it's almost like you feel like you need more. You need to do it more regularly. But I think we all have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just the idea of, of, of seeing it as something that's valuable. And I think for those, especially when I see it in myself and my patients, it's very difficult at first. If you've never actually taken time for yourself, mm -hmm. it's going to be a bit scary. Yeah, it's gonna and and just by by you doing that or putting time each time you do that, you you truly get to know yourself just a little bit better. Oh, you you're saying that huge, and that's a really big thing that the the value component as human beings as animals that we are reward based. Mm -hmm. The reward of pause, presence, and depth are difficult to attain. We don't touch that by just pausing for a minute or five minutes. And the thought of an hour sounds horrifying, especially the, with if the majority of your rewards or the upholding, the protective layers of who your identity and sense of self is, is so deeply layered in the things that you do. Your reward is in stimulation and your the thing that you averse is non-stimulation. And most human beings have a quality of understanding that when I'm not stimulated, when I'm not doing my thing, I start feeling this discomfort of not output. And so I, I invite busyness in or I invite some type of task or responsibility that I'll take on that ultimately those moments where you you put a vacation or something on your on your calendar, you end up filling it with so many things that you end up needing a vacation from your vacation. But if we invite, for example, microdosing pause, I think I that's like, a, I like that. That's yeah. actually that's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Yeah. So what would microdosing pause look like for you and how could you invite that for your your clients as well, too? Well, for me personally, I'm a very scheduled a scheduled person. So um, it does help to I always bring it back to my wife. It helps to be married <laughs> to a meditation teacher. So, I mean, these are things that we discuss, but 
I think the biggest thing for me is to actually schedule it in, just like I schedule going to the gym or I schedule getting together with mm -hmm. someone. The idea of scheduling time and saying, hey, this is my time, yeah. my time that I protect for myself. When I've done that before and it's something that I, I definitely need to work on, I think I, I, think I can use it a lot more. Um, it always is something good. There's always a feeling like, man, I need to do this more often. When you have that feeling of wanting to do it more, or you have that and you're like, this is something that I know is good for me. And, and when I do that, my days operate better. Mm -hmm. Where I do plan them now is I plan uh, times of pause when I get up really early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So if I get up early when everybody's asleep, well, I mean, it's really just my, my dog, my cat, yeah. and, and my, my wife. Um, and it just, it's quiet. There, There's something that it's like you, you get to know yourself better. The day starts off more beautifully. It's it's really you put yourself first. Mm -hmm. And I think the the honoring of ourselves, I think there's something to that. When we don't, when we do place a, a microdose of pause, let's say, it, it, what we're really doing is we're giving back to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think in many cases, you, you said something that, that really struck a chord with me is that we are, our value in many cases comes from stimulation, mm -hmm. from always doing something, achieving, getting something, helping someone, doing something. So I, I hear very often that, you know, with some of my patients is that, you know, my husband can't sit still. He always needs to be doing something. Anytime there's an aspect of, of non-movement, it's like there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's been a habituation to stimulation where well, there's so much beauty and pause. It just, it just, you have to get comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And it starts with small doses. It's yeah. the small doses that then you increase slowly. But if you can get comfortable with yourself, mm -hmm. man, it's it's the best place to be. Yeah, and it um, comfort is not, why can't I see comfort? Why can't I sit still? Uh, a method of navigating through that is saying, what's in the way of it? So what's in the way of my ability to stand still? And there's probably aspects of your inner world neurotransmitters that are working, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's very likely the behavior that you've taken upon yourself to do that. And I feel that as, as we invite human beings into just making taste, just tasting the quality of pause and starting to feel that reward of depth that it emerges over time. It may be that you see that in other aspects of your life that you start transferring it over. And what Alex says, what, what you mentioned so well that I loved is like when you're putting it onto a calendar, I don't know wh who the specific name is. I'm sure someone who's listening will remember, but someone who uses calendars on Mind Valley spoke about time boxing. Hmm. And with time boxing in particular, your metric for when you put something on calendar is not, did I get that thing done? What's my results? Blah, blah, blah. It's when I looked at my calendar and I was, that time came up. Did I do that thing that I said I was going to do with the least amount of distractions? That's your only metric. It's not outcome-based. It's just a qualitative reflection on, did I do that thing that I said I was going to do? And did I not reach into any distractions? Because what do we do? Because when you're in that thing that you said that you were going to do, you're saying, I'm only doing one thing. When busyness has three to five things going on. And that's a burden. And sometimes even more. And even more. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of tabs that are open in our mind. Whereas... We're saying, I'm committing to this. I'm acknowledging that there are other tabs, but to now I'm only addressing this tab in particular. Mm. And that person starts feeling depth of immersion here. But what that ends up doing is a behavioral change within ourself that has us committed to doing a thing that we said we we're going to do. And it has us open to the, curios the, to the curiosity of when I 
commit to something, can I be comfortably immersed in it? And as a human being who's busy starts down-regulating themselves into doing less things, having less tabs open, being more committed to it, they invite themselves back to this pause within themselves where they are committed and present to the thing. And that tastes different. And that qualitative component, I think, invites people back to the essence of their life. Totally. I'm with you a thousand percent. I think when you do plan time, it's interesting because when when you know that a certain hour of your day is not being taken up, you can account, you can block it out. It means that it's not a time that you randomly choose. It's saying, I now have this time that I guard and it's specifically for pause. Yeah. And, and and it's an appointment with yourself. So so it's it's very crucially important. Like, you know, when I it was probably a new revelation for me is I discovered naps, daytime naps. <laughs> uh, actually, um, on weekends, it was a year ago where I would always have such resistance with if I felt tired. I couldn't, I was like, no, don't waste your time. You know what I mean? Drink a coffee, you know, you have things to do. And there's always this guilt. There was this feeling like I I needed to accomplish. (laughs) I needed to get this done. And then then little by little, it's like, you know, one Saturday, I think I I just fell asleep. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. And then I woke up like, wow, I just, I feel so much better. And there was just this aspect of just allowing myself to be okay with less. And like you said with that quote, you said the you, you mentioned something about addition the book by addition. By, that's so powerful because we think of addition only by addition, yeah. right? But this idea of removing things, it really can open up space. It can open up a, a place in you that, I mean, you, you'd never find any other way. Yeah, maybe you need to drink three or four coffees to get that task done, or maybe you just needed a nap. Maybe that's it. You right? know. And if anything, I probably did those things way more effectively when I just listened to my body. Yeah, yeah. There's pause is what I've come to realize is through any experience, have to have. And I imagine our our, our hunter gatherer uh, ancestors would have their experience throughout the day, and then as their meal was coming forward, they already had way less distractions. But then they would go sit around a fire and be in relative silence in the presence of others as they contemplated the day they digested the day, and then they integrated the day. And the way that you can think of that, again, is with food. When you take food in, if you keep eating nonstop, your body's going to assimilate some of it, but you're gonna eat, 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 and eventually you're gonna be constipated, you're gonna be bloated, you're gonna be all the stuff. Whereas if you eat, and you were highly intentional about what you ate, this is the same thing as having a highly intentional experience. But then you contemplated that, same thing with the food, you left a space in between it now. Now your digestive system has a greater opportunity to digest it adequately, have it flow through, and the di- the nutrients that are meant to be can be integrated into your system, and that which doesn't serve you is actually allowed to be excreted out more efficiently and less invasively. The individual who identifies with IBS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, very often they'll have these constellation of varying spectrums of expression of pain, spasms, diarrhea, constipation, and I almost feel that there's like when you explore with them the stress component, the burden of the weight that they're carrying in their life, very often has a strong association with how their symptoms are. But a human being that's not afflicted with that and just experiences life day by day gains has so much to gain by having the experience and contemplating, digesting, and, and integrating. And if we're busy, you have too many of these going on at once, and contemplation, digestion, and integration is hijacked. So you have a bunch of human beings that well-intended, 
have subscribed to the busyness thing, myself included at times, and we're constipated with unprocessed experience and mm. undigested experience and unintegrated experience. And how do you know who you are? How do you feel here if there's a lot that of, of bags that you're still carrying? You, you won't. That's yeah. the thing. You won't if you don't give space. We are habit-forming creatures, and we're always looking to, in some sense, autopilot things. But this experience or this intentional practices of pause allow you to reevaluate. Yeah. Uh, it gives you that time to say, hey, is this right? Or, hey, can I be doing something a little different? You'd be very surprised what you can find yeah. with just a bit of time with yourself. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, and coming back to pain, I guess, I don't know if this yeah. wraps it up, is that initially human beings feel that there's pain in a pause, and so they don't go for it. But then eventually they come to realize that there's pain by not taking pause. And so they're willing to experience the pain of what pause they perceived it to be until the pain is no more. And then eventually they may have pause from pain. <laughs> it's, inter it's interesting how you put it. Yeah, totally. It's what's interesting is that I always bring it back to the patients that we, we see. And, and one of the, the things that we teach them is how to change the relationship with pain how they view it, mm -hmm. you know, and we, we teach a lot about how pain is a protective signal. Everything in our, our body is trying to protect us. And so mm -hmm. when we do experience pain, pain is something that is typically to make you not move a certain way or to not do a certain experience. Or if we feel something, we normally go into some form of protection. But if we can understand that it is a protective nature and let's explore a little bit deeper and let's let's get to know this pain a little bit better just like mm -hmm. what you were saying yeah. interestingly enough with you know the the pain that you had with uh, you know the the, the area that you had with the tumor right it's this idea of like like okay let me instead of resisting what i feel what if i provide compassion mm -hmm. what if i you know, I, I, you know, I hear this quote, they say, what resists persists, yeah. right? And so whatever we push against, it, it tends to push back on us. But mm -hmm. what if we operate differently? What if instead of resisting, let's say we, we actually go into it? We sometimes it's just a box of smoke and mirrors, right? Mm -hmm. When we, we, we really just, when we turn into something, we realize that whether it, it may not be that bad or maybe there's some opportunity for, for change that can emerge. Mm -hmm. And I... Uh... Along that line, I'm, I'm not sure if you take this approach before, but I bring to awareness that the human being that's experiencing pain in a particular place, if we were to be, if it was a part of us that's speaking to us, what energy are they getting from us by speaking the pain and, and, and having that relationship to it? And what I mean by that is when someone has pain in their stomach, they hate their stomach. They're hypersensitive, scanning for something to go on with their stomach. And then when the pain expresses itself, in the frustration and the anger, it's my, uh, how many people says I have horrible knees? No, you don't have horrible knees. Your knees are expressing pain and there's, there's something to that. But we'll express this disdain for this part of our body that's expressing something that is inherently supposed to protect us. <laughs> and also it's it, in some cases and in many cases from what I found, trying to get our attention. And so do we address it or do we try and suppress that pain? And very often the case, if you go into a pharmacy, there's a molecule that's available there, a pill, a medicine, we'll call it medicine, uh, to silence the expression of the body, but that pain persists. And what I mean by that is uh, there are particular experiences that I've had where there are certain um, things that are invited into my body that uh, you take. Uh, you will remember yourself to be completely normal while you were... Uh, 
while you had taken something to suppress the pain. But on those experiences, when you take a particular molecule, you end up actually feeling the pain that you didn't allow yourself to feel. And it almost expresses itself like a part of you. And I had, after the, the tumor, I had a lot of digestive stuff. And <clears throat> when I was 25, I had a particularly deep, I don't know if this will be in there, but I had a particularly deep experience. And I felt this deep connection with my stomach as well, too. And it was really upper, it was epigastric. epigastric. And this stairs came out of my gut. And Ricardo, the, the speaker on behalf of my entire gut flora came and had a dialogue with me. And he reminded me that he, there's an entire ecosystem that's here. And when I'm eating, I'm eating for the entire ecosystem. And like what I invite in that's nutritive for me is nutritive for all. And he just reminded me that like we are all in interconnected symbiosis with one another. And then I remember the stairs going right back down into my stomach. And I'm like, wow, there's a conversational expression of the dis discomforts that I'm having that, again, was inexplicable yet undeniable. And those discomforts went away completely. I don't feel like I got to the place where I identified it as pain, but it was a discomfort that was present over and over again. And what system is hit first when we're in fight or flight, hmm. fight or flight, freeze or fawn? It's the digestive system, if not, right? So it was very intriguing to see that. And I've, I wish the invitation, one of them can be that when you have pain, curiously wonder if, if that pain is a part of you that's speaking to you and see if there's a relationship that can be had rather than understanding that there was anger and judgment towards that pain. Because I understand that it was getting in your way of how you wanted to live your life and how you wanted to experience yourself. But in creating a relationship to it, that pain can adapt in what your relationship is to it and how you continue to experience it moving forward. Mm. I would I would add to that that I see that a lot in chronic experiences when people yeah. have persistent pain, where because if it's something that happens acutely, sometimes people will naturally heal in you know a certain regulated time that the body provides four to six weeks for certain types of injuries. However, when something persists for a long time and there are components of someone or components of a person that um, that doesn't want to feel it, it, you we develop these 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 boxes around yeah. what we feel and and by doing so we, we we limit our ability to heal through it when when we teach people about pain and teach people about not only the protective nature but sometimes the pain that you feel is not necessarily a tissue damage or a tissue injury it's the brain's perception of what's going on yeah. it's just a it's an ass it's just trying to tell you something it's learning first of all how do we manage it better how do we listen but how do we how do we also learn to work through it in certain cases you know working through certain things in a very regimented way in a slow process i think i think slow and steady process can give a lot of um, understanding to a person because many times when we create a box around how we have to live or what we have to do, it's all that we know. Mm -hmm. And if that's all that you know, then you you will only go to what you know or what you've defaulted to. So having the ability to, I guess you'd say having the ability to open that up, it always comes back to openness, to maybe say, to invite a, a new perspective, a new way of being, it allows for a different answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially choosing places that are uncomfortable. This, I, I almost feel that it's an interesting thing that when we try and be comfortable, I'm coming to realize that you almost don't feel alive. 
there's there's a peace that can be found there but most often we're seeking refuge from a lot of the things that are still unprocessed around us Mm -hmm. and a human being that's like oh i'm comfortable at home it's because there's pain when they're out there intriguingly what maybe we can develop a relationship that has this lean into discomfort of the things that are out there so when you come home you're not doing it to escape from the world you're doing it because this is a place that nurtures aspects of you and um for example, I'm curious. I don't know if you've used like I, we have. A, you see my tub that's out there. I have mm-hmm. a cold plunge that I have out there, and then I have sauna downstairs. Uh, what's popularizing of late is this hot and cold experience. Have you come to f- see any patients that are experiencing hot and cold as a way where they're choosing intentional discomfort, and has that changed their experience in relationship to pain at all? I haven't seen many. I have a bit of experience with myself, but I. I would it would it would be a very interesting thing to try because I think this idea of I would say forced discomfort but in I guess we'd call that a microdose right yeah. in a small dose of whether it's hot or cold it creates such a valuable physical state change and sometimes in, in it, I mean in my experience with hot and cold it's been revolutionary yeah um but i would be i'm very interested i mean Mm. i had done i i got really pulled on to wim hoff's work at one point they produced some research in um in one of the universities they wanted to study him and understand okay how is how is his breathing techniques really working and i remember we were looking at some of the research like hey like some of the research actually really good where he showed that with certain types of breathing techniques he would upregulate certain cytokines which are certain messengers and in the body that could be um very anti-inflammatory that could actually help to change things and it's through changing physical systems so he does that through breath but the thing is that you can change physical systems through the 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 what we have in nature heat yeah. cold and other things i don't really have answers too much from a patient perspective mm. but i think that there's a value there 100 percent me too and the right person and so i nasim talib's book anti-fragile <clears throat> what it invites in conceptually is the hormetic stress that we invite mm-hmm. in and your hormetics is a a principle that is an evaluation of how a human being or or an animal or whatever it is adapts when it's put into a particular environment that environment doesn't have to be a home it can be a thought that you have how adaptable are you in that thing it can be how adaptable you are in your sense of self your perception of who you are who you are when you're at home versus when you're at work versus when you're in relationship versus when you're among your friends all of these places we we come to know ourselves, but through hormetics or hormesis, you create this adaptability. And Nassim Talib's book, Anti-Fragile, invites us to reconsider how we can do that. And so when you go into the hot or cold, we know cold is uncomfortable. Cold sucks at times. But it's when we're thinking that way, we're not thinking or aware necessarily of the reward that comes downstream. And some of the rewards are not tasted the same way as stimulation is. When you are able to navigate and be more adaptable in a place that when before you were completely hijacked and feel maybe even threatened by, that is a reward that it doesn't have the same taste to it to remain adaptively available to your experience. Hot and cold has you do this where you feel a discomfort, you're choosing to be there and you're feeling into the adaptations for a prolonged period of time where you say, whoa, I was able to experience that discomfort. Or I don't know if you've sat in for a 12-hour tattoo session before. Your body's sending all the signals. If this hurts, I can't take this anymore. It sends you every story to get up and get out. But when you have a dialogue with it and 
it's it's, it's interesting because you have the pain and that's your signal then there's this capacity to witness your pain and have a dialogue with it and then you're able to have some level of tolerance and maybe even sink into it and and find some welcome to the pain that you know is not going to kill you mm. and maybe if we find comfort and peace in saying this pain is not going to kill me already there's some alleviation of that weight and then if we do practices that allow us to navigate discomfort some that we choose like the cold or the hot or having that challenging conversation with your partner or, or uh, boss or something we find ourselves in our greater states of adaptability and our relationship to pain or what our perception of it shifts just a little you know it's interesting it's such a great point i remember when i did uh went to a spa up in collingwood called the scandinavian spa and they they have like hot hot tubs and cold plunges yeah, scandinavian spa yeah yeah, yeah. It's, and uh i um not only did uh, going into the cold, it's interesting when I would tell myself that I like I, I had this mantra say the cold is my teacher. Yeah. I'm learning and I would change the dialogue that I would say I would actually adapt better to the cold. And I found that I could stay for much longer. But obviously the reward is after when you go when you go in and out. It's so invigorating. Um, but what's so interesting is that when you talked about some of those concepts with regards to this idea of adaptability, what can I adapt to? Even that line of frameworking, of thought, of saying, because it's so applicable to everything. In life. Yeah. Because everything in life has a hormetic response. It's just a matter of if we put ourselves in a position to experience that so we can adapt to it. Mm -hmm. So we can all adapt uh, to various experiences it's just the it's all about the dosing it's mm -hmm. all about how you start to something right mm -hmm. and so if we if we just think from that aspect of saying well if there's a problem that i'm experiencing whether it's pain it could be physical mental and so on how can i better adapt to my situation mm -hmm. what is required what has to exist for me to adapt mm -hmm. the openness in these types of questions can very much give us all a certain state or a certain you, you can get a lot of answers with high quality questions mm -hmm. and those ones, you know, especially like we're talking about these these environmental stressors yeah. uh, like heat and cold, you know, they, they can get you into a state very quickly, but we can also do that to ourselves in so many different ways. It's mm -hmm. just the ability to, again, ask the right question. Yeah. And so um, if there was a, a an invitation that you had for others and the part of layered prescriptions like just to preface it i don't know if you read the email that i sent yes before. i did i did but um if there are aspects of your embodiment that you're inviting in through your practice of life and through your life experience that you feel are some of the things that you maybe see that society has well intentions to invite it in but aren't and that through your voice if you were to walk up to a microphone and you had the entire world listening in and they had an opportunity to not change something but to consider some aspect of themselves that they would like to potentially consider or reconsider what would that be i would have to say um one aspect i think would be to listen more to yourself spend some time and and listen listen to what you need not only be in pause but if you can you know, it, your body, your mind, you know, when, when you feel something consistently, you know, there's something that's asking for attention. You've mentioned that before, and I, and I wholeheartedly believe it. And I think where we go astray is when we don't have, we distract constantly, we, we, we push away from. And I, and I think that 
if we can, if we can just stop for a moment and, and, and spend the time and, and understand and, and, and give ourselves just a, an inventory, just a moment to just check in with ourselves and, and understand what we need. I, I, I think we can get better answers. Mm-hmm. And I think with better answers comes opportunities for change. Mm-hmm. I think if we true, uh, you know, if I can add one more thing is I, I think another thing is that, you know, in my line of work, one thing is to truly, truly listen to people. I find that the aspect when people feel heard and not only that they're, whatever they're going through has, has been difficult, but they feel that someone understands them. It makes it so much easier to, to allow themselves to not only be vulnerable, but be open to change. Change happens when when we have some aspect of safety, when we when we feel that it, or or it happens at a time where we have no other choice. Mm-hmm. If we can operate from a place where we have the right environment that that allows us to do it more effectively, that would be great. But the right environment starts within ourselves. Mm-hmm. It starts. We have to create that first. No one's going to create that for. I can try as hard as I want. <laughs> I wish I could. You know that you give the quote. What uh, you can bring a water, bring 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 a horse to the water, but you you can't you force it, it to drink. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing as the person has to be ready. But but when you are ready, the readiness comes from within. It comes from a looking at yourself deeply and understanding that hey things are possible and they're and they're possible for anybody mm-hmm. it's not just any specific person we all have that ability it's just a matter of giving space and asking those questions mm-hmm. and starting with microdosing pause if necessary yes microdosing <laughs> pause yeah thank you very much uh, for coming on to the podcast this is our first one that's been set up this way man so um how do you feel right now i feel great yeah. i feel great it, it was a beautiful time and obviously talking with you it's it's not only fun but we're on the we, we follow we have very similar interests yeah. and i think uh exploring those together i take a lot away from that but mm-hmm. it's also nice to know that there's other humans who uh who follow that way as well. Yeah, likewise, man. Let's nurture this more. Um, we'll have you on in a future podcast, but also like, I feel like we could be doing some things to support community, even men's work together, even and then space for our own type of uh, personal support, then play. Of That's course. That's the most important part. Of course. Remember, I, 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 could, I would love that. <laughs> Thank you, man. Awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How long do we go for? I want to thank my guests for taking the time to share their insights and wisdom. Please consider connecting with them and their information will be in the show notes. Consider leaving a review and rating the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what to rate. You do as you feel. And please, before this podcast ends and you go on to the next thing, take three to five minutes in silence to allow some of the information that you heard to be contemplated, digested, and integrated. To the degree that every experience has a moment to actually have it be processed, it has a greater chance for it to be instilled into your life. I wish the rest of your day and week is beautiful. Take care, remain curious, and don't forget to play.